0: Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and *Wanders of Milsanda for The Accidental Aliens. And I am Keith Foster. I write the comics
1: Kadoja and Three Protectors, and I am a managing partner at Invader Comics.
0: Sweet, man. And uh, you were also my uh, bunkmate for like five days at Emerald City. Yeah, man. And now we're back... We did world's it.
1: Best, world's best Seattle. Actually, it might be the world's best
0: cup of coffee. <laughs>
1: we're in, yeah, we're in yeah, Seattle,
0: that... the coffee land, you know. So, yeah, it's yeah, funny man. how that works out. Um, yeah. All right, man. So I don't imagine you're having coffee right now. Are you having a beer? I'm not having coffee. Yeah, I'm having. I can't
1: remember if I had this before. So this is Specific Void. It's an IPA. Uh, it's a collaboration between Fremont Seattle Brewing and Burial Beer, which I guess is in Carolina. And it's an IPA. And uh, I actually, man, I'm just like craft beering to the extreme here. The glass that it is in is this glass I got from Dangerous Man, which is the place I believe I mentioned in. Where was that? Minnesota. It's in Minneapolis. It was the really good micro brew spot that had some really great beers. And um, hey, I'm going back to Minneapolis in a few weeks. Uh, no, a few months. So I will. Uh, I might get a chance again. So here's to that, man. How about you, man? What are you drinking?
0: Nice. Yeah, I remember the uh, the picture that you took of the of the board that they had mm-hmm. there. And most of them sounded amazing. So yeah. jealous that you're going to go back there. Um, I am having Ashlyn hard seltzer. I am, I am just keeping it chill for this week. I am. Uh, I don't know, man. We drink a lot while we're in Seattle, so <laughs> we, yeah, we didn't. We didn't skimp on the alcohol. That's for sure. We, 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 it was not. more of
1: a steady state, right? Like we didn't get. We didn't get necessarily toasted. Although I think there was a there was a day at one day at the show where you definitely you were like, I had five seltzers today. (laughs) So,
0: (laughs) yeah, the the show was, you know, and this is something we'll talk about shortly. But the show was so weird with a lot of dead spots that uh, there was plenty of time to drink beverages. So that's what I was doing. (laughs) Yeah. 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 was. Um, Yeah. So I I feel like I want to keep that that train rolling. Uh, seltzer felt right. All I have is IPAs in the fridge right now, and honestly, it didn't sound too too appealing. It's been really hot over here, and mm. uh, seltzer is just so refreshing. So, went with that route.
1: Yeah, man. I think I think that's a good call. I mean, it's again, it's hot here, but and I do have seltzers, but I I wanted one beer and I wanted to really pack a punch, and uh, this is the one I have. So it's a, it's like seven point five percent, and it's a sixteen ounce. So that'll that'll do. That'll do. There you go.
0: But, right on. Yeah, man. So all right, man. So what was your first thing for the week?
1: Yeah, I mean you you anticipated it, we anticipated it. I think the first thing that, you know, I slash we should talk about a little bit is um is Emerald City, right? Because we are we are back from Emerald City. The quick recap is the attendance was better than the one in December 2021. That's the one that I that I did, um, you know, obviously about what, eight months ago. It's not to pre COVID yet, but it was definitely better. And Scott hinted at what, like, life in the indie comics world is like. It's, I mean, we've talked about this before. It's you sit around for chunks of time and just do nothing. And then there are just these rushes of, it's, it's, not, it's not just that you're sitting around, right? Like, the foot traffic, for the most part, was pretty good. But there were times when I think Scott, I think I remarked to him or he remarked to me, where it was like, you felt like, our booth was, like, behind the wrong side of a two-way mirror or something. Like, people would legit <laughs> walk by for, like, an hour, and and we just go, like, wow, we haven't talked to anyone in an hour. It's just crazy the way that works out. And then somebody shows up, and they totally want to hear about all our books, and then we go into that, and then before you know it, it's been another hour of doing just nothing but having people walk up to the table, seeing if they're interested in our stuff, and then buying stuff if they are, you know? So... I don't know, man. It was kind of weird like that, right? It was just these ebbs and flows, and it was pretty dramatic both ways.
0: Yeah, and and something you mentioned uh, about our booth space. like This was a different space than you normally have, and you're like, you know, this is better than where I was previously, but also there's not really a spot where it's all indie books there wasn't really a small press section it felt like everyone yeah. was kind of mixed up and um so like right across from us it was a guy that was selling autographed pictures you know framed and mounted and and uh, matted and all that stuff and they looked beautiful and then the people on both side of us were just selling prints giant prints and that was about it and then a uh, catty corner to us there was like Uh, satchels like women's satchels essentially Mm -hmm. that um, they were selling and that was really popular that was a very popular booth so it was kind of a weird location um, but like Keith had mentioned there wasn't a designated area for something that we do beyond I would say Artist Alley and honestly I took a gander up in Artist Alley and it was a lot of um, a lot of prints um, some original art being sold here and there but honestly it was more prints and knickknacks and and the like and a lot of anime related things and you know you would have the occasional person selling some books up there and uh, a bunch of artists selling metal prints so it was kind of weird it wasn't like an overabundance of people creating comics and i think that's something both you and i have noticed at the last couple of shows that we've done together um the the people creating independent comics seems to be less and less
1: yeah absolutely i mean you you definitely took the words out of my mouth on that one you phoenix was like this and this show was like this and it just it, it is it was strange because this is the least amount of you know writers and artists and companies small press or something above small press just the smallest amount that i've ever seen selling comics and um yeah man it's it's crazy it's crazy and and a familiar refrain of people that came to our table was, "It's weird to see so few people selling comics. Like this is a comic convention. Why aren't there comics? Why aren't there as many comics?" And I just think we're in a lull. I think we're in a little, you know, uh, you know, nadir or whatever the a trough, right? Not a not a crest, but a trough. And it just feels like people are doing less and less comics. I mean, I think I think there's some degree of. You know what I wonder about that? I wonder if it's effort related. You know, we had a person at our booth, I think, and they were talking about how, yeah, I, I know who it was. I think it was Mike. And he was talking about how it's it just feels like it's getting harder to get artists to do interiors because that's a lot of work. You know, like you can put effort into like one piece and color it and then sell that at a show, as a print, as a cover, you know, you can try to market yourself that way. And like, you know, it it takes a certain mindset and a certain type of person to really want to do like sequential art and tell stories with their art. And, uh, yeah, I just, you know, it makes sense in terms of shows that you might have that that might carry over a little bit and there might be more people, you know, out there just selling prints and things like that. But yeah, man, it, it was strange, I still believe that this is a bit of a strange point, <clears throat> excuse me, in time. And everything is cyclical. And so, you know, the way that this usually works and probably will work here is we might even have some shows next year where it's even less comics people at the show. But eventually, those comics people are going to do so well. That they're going to talk to other people, and those other people are going to say, hey, maybe I should get back into comics, and then the comics will go go on the rise again, and before you know it, we'll be at a peak of comic stuff, you know, so it will be interesting to see how it plays out, but yeah, this point in time, just very few people actually
0: selling their own books. Yeah, what's interesting is Emerald City is supposed to be one of, like, the top, what, five shows, would you say? Yeah, I mean, my, my personal ranking is
1: that it's three, you know number 3 behind San Diego and New York
0: the biggest company there was boom is that right i, I yeah. believe so yeah uh, so i think oni oh oni oni that's what yeah. it was yeah mhm yeah so oni was the biggest booth that they had there as far as publishers go so that was interesting in itself it's like yeah if this is the third biggest convention in the united states why are the big companies not here And, Mm -hmm. um, honestly, I think the fans reflected that. So maybe that's something that those bigger studios saw in the numbers as the years have gone by, like it becomes less and less worth it to do those shows. Um, if they're not getting the backing that they need, essentially when they get to the show, it's like not enough people are picking up the books while we're here, or there's not getting enough attention to the creators that are coming by. So what's the point of doing the show? And, um, they sure didn't come this time around. So interesting enough.
1: Yeah, I I, that's I actually had a conversation very similar to that for Invader with Mike and Kevin, um, you know, after the show, but before we're recording here. So like early in the week and I was just talking about what our future thing of shows is and and something we had planned on doing before was, you know, if this show wasn't necessarily something, you know, you and I wanted to do going forward that we could roll the booth over to Invader. Um, But then we got the renewal form. And booth prices rocketed up. They, you know, without giving a number, they basically went up 20 percent. And like the price of a booth going up 20 percent when attendance is down from pre-COVID levels and you have to commit to it right now. It, it, for me, it's a bridge too far. And something I've decided over the last couple of days is it's going to be very hard for me to go to emerald city last next year like the 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 odds of this being my final emerald city show in a while uh are slash were very very high because w- with with booths just going up like that it's just getting harder and harder to justify it and that makes me wonder if that's the reason why companies are just saying no you know because it's it's no longer a great profit proposition to go to these shows. And, you know, most companies are, are doing, you know, f- two, three. I mean, I'd imagine Oni's booth space amounts to six to nine booths, probably six. And that's probably four corners and two inlines. You know what I mean? Like, it's pretty crazy. And, like, knowing the cost of that, man, you have to sell so many books to justify that. And you're selling books that are running for, you know, 20 to 70. Every single time you do it and it's more close to 15 and 20 than it is to 70, you know, so I would not be surprised at all if comic companies are just looking at their balance sheets and they're saying this isn't worth it anymore. And uh, we'll see what that holds for the future of cons.
0: Yeah. And that's just the booth space. You know, that's just the cost of the booth. And then they're having to pay for you know shipping everything over if they're bringing that over on plane or or what mailing it over and then they're paying for the staff to be there so it's just cost on cost on cost and that's a reason why uh, for me personally like you already said you're you're more than likely not going to be doing it anymore this was my first this was my last emerald city um you mm-hmm. know and until i can really justify going you know it's just like until our names are at a point where it's just like yeah we'll make that back you know like yep. that's you know but like making indie comics and trying to uh, make sure you're making every penny back. It's very difficult when you're paying for flight, hotel, uh, you know, um, a booth space and that booth space, like you said, has was already expensive and then it increased twenty percent. So it's just like much like you said, bridge too far. So yeah. um it was a fun experience. I definitely enjoyed hanging out with you outside of the show. Like hanging with you in the show is obviously cool too. Um mm-hmm. but I like going and doing the things that we did while we were there afterwards. You know, checking out the local brewery, checking out the little eateries and uh, man, that stuff was fun.
1: Yeah. I mean and we you know now's a good time to talk about that. Like local brewery. Because the first night, we went to a brewery there called Optimism. And you and I both agreed that we liked it so much that... it it, Like, the next two nights, it ended up being like, dude, I want to go back to Optimism. And for me, the reason was that they had a beer called One, which was a London pub ale. And so the first night we were both there, Scott and I got just a four-taster flight. And so I had One as part of my four-taster flight. Scott... Had, we, we sipped the first two beers And then there was an issue that we realized We had sort of been like oh shit we forgot about this So you had to get a package delivered And you ran back to the Airbnb, you actually chugged the final two beers. And I'm like, dude, is it okay if I just stay here and savor these? You're like, yes, please. So I I just sat there and screwed around on my phone for a few minutes while you ran back. And then I met you there like half an hour later. But, you know, so for you, going the second night wasn't that hard because your first night had been cut a little short, you know. And um, But yeah, and then we just found ourselves going back there every night because it was such good beer. And so that became kind of like our our post-show spot. Uh, for every night of the show and uh, again that beer is amazing i thought optimism was super cool it felt like every time we went back we enjoyed it even more just because it's such a cool big wide open space great place for people to talk and not you know have a nice uh, conversation of any volume without feeling like you're annoying anyone else
0: yeah it was it was the spot it seemed Um, a lot of people were there pretty much every single time we went, I would say the slowest time was Saturday night, which was funny yeah. enough. It yeah. was like, well, this is kind of dead in here compared to how it normally was on a Thursday, Friday. And yeah. Um, yeah, another thing that didn't hurt was I think if you use your credit card for the first time over there, they send you an a, a email saying, hey, the next pint is on us next time you're back. That's right. And uh, we were so close. Uh, we went back. It just made sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was awesome, um, and yeah, some other things around Seattle were awesome. But th- I mean, that was basically it, right? Like, I have a particular work thing that I'm going to talk about a little bit later um, when when it comes to that. But I think that's a that's a good brief convention wrap, and that's my first thing, man. What was your uh, what was your first thing?
0: Well, I'll just piggyback off of that one a little bit longer. Um, I do have other things. I have a lot of other things to be honest with you, but uh, packing for Emerald City. So, oh. if you're someone that does a lot of local conventions you're used to bringing as much product as possible to shows and uh you have to condense it down for a flight wow is it tough it is so so tough like to the point where i wanted to eliminate i had to bring on let's see two carry-ons and two checked bags one was just a box of comics, the other one was my luggage, which was packed to the brim with my clothes and my, my prints. Uh, something that my buddy Mike Kingston, uh, shout out to Mike there, he does a book called Headlocked. He gave me a great tip, and this is a tip for you guys if you're gonna start traveling. Pack your books in your carry-on because they do not regulate the weight. So if you're going to check a bag, it needs to be under 50 pounds. And when you're packing at home and you have your own personal scale, you need to make sure you're not packing 250 pounds exactly because you don't know how accurate your scale is. So you're going get to about, get about 45 pounds worth in that suitcase, whereas you can pack, I don't know, 90 pounds, whatever you can carry in your suitcase. It has to be the right dimensions. And you can that bring bring that on with you with no problem. So um, that was a great trick, and I did that on the way home. So the, the thing that I wanted to do was check only one bag on the way home and just have two carry-ons and that's what I did with all of my comics so um, it was a great lesson you know I think Mike for telling me that I wish I would knew that before I took off but honestly I think I still would have needed to check two anyway and uh, yeah that was that was something that's interesting and you really realize what's important to your setup and what you need to bring when it's going to cost you you know 30 to 50 dollars per extra luggage it's like okay is it is it that much worth it? And do you have to weigh the pros and cons? And if it is, got to bite the bullet and do it. Um, and if not, leave it home. Totally. I mean, I, I had a similar tug of war that I guess I
1: should bring up, too, which is uh, Keith's, Keith's egregious fuck-up of the weekend. <laughs> and that is that um, I had actually bought a uh, one of those um, tension banners, right, like a roll-up banner that just condenses down into, like, one of those cylinders that you can sort of carry on, on a plane, and uh, so I had, I had bought that just for this show. I mean, I'm sure I can use it for other shows, but I bought it with the express purpose of using it at this show so that we could split a 10 by 10 booth and have banners on, on each side of us, yada, yada, yada. So I get to the airport and uh, I'll just flash forward ahead. I'm, I'm getting ready to get up to go to the bathroom before I board my flight. And I have my backpack and my one carry-on and I'm like, where the fuck is my banner? <laughs> and then yeah. I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, shit, I left it at the Hudson News, the convenience store that's inside Ontario Airport. So I quick, like, book it back to the place. And what I had done is I had bought, like, a candy bar or an energy bar and a drink, and I had placed the stupid banner down on, like, the row of candy right in front of the register and left it there. So I go back there. It's 15, 20 minutes later. It had been a while. And I, and I asked, hey, you know, like, Did, do, do you have my banner? You know, and she said, well, it's protocol to call the police. So I called the police. We called you. And I was like, you you did? (laughs) Okay, well, uh, I didn't hear it. So anyway, um, it was with the police. And then I basically had to make a decision. They were starting to board my flight. And the question was, could I go outside of security, go back through security, get my banner, find my banner, and then come back through? And I was like, it's not worth it. So on the plane... Without a banner, I'm trying to think of how I can get around this. And then that's when you were like, oh, well, because I was texting you. I was actually texting you, you know, right up until my plane left the ground. (laughs) Right. And usually when they do the whole like, you know, turn off your cellular devices, the passenger doors close, blah, blah, blah. I do it. But this time I just had to coordinate stuff. So I'm going back and forth between you and Martin, who uh, who couldn't make it for this show and, and ended up kind of sending a lot of my books and things along. So I'm like, oh, I didn't bring prints with me because, like Scott said, we have to make hard choices. Let me see if Martin can ship me some prints, and then I can display those and at least get some kind of breadth around my um, my my display. So Martin agrees to do it, and he ships some, and they ended up being there the next day, and it it, it wasn't cheap. So then they get there the next day. That's the first day of the show. I ended up leaving around like noon, and they because they had showed up noon the next day, and uh, you know did all that come back and start to... Actually, no, I take that back. We started to set up the booth, and then I realized I could have just used my table runners as little mini banners behind me. Um, so I was like, wow, I should have just done that. I wouldn't have even shipped the prints to myself. So anyway, I ended up getting the prints, and then I ended up saying, well, I got these damn prints. I better make my money back. And uh, And I'm happy to say that I barely did. Like, I barely did. When you look at the cost of shipping these prints... Plus the cost of goods sold, like I made like ten dollars more than that, and at least like because at that point you're like, damn it, I shouldn't have shipped these prints up here. Now I got just gotta hope that that money comes back to me. So that was that was good, but yeah, what chaos and all brought on by me just you know making a mistake, but it happens.
0: Yeah, you know it's it's a live and learn thing. You know the more sho, sho- oh, oh easy for me to say the more hey shows you- <laughs> the more shows you do the easier these choices get and so you know for me this being the first one where i actually had to fly out it was really really interesting and really difficult to pick those things and uh, i just have a better understanding now of what i would have to do the next time i do it who knows when that'll be Um, Mm -hmm. both you and i had talked about doing shows that are drivable you know and or like if we do a show that is you know out of state um undrivable like we kind of have to know someone in the area just mm-hmm. to alleviate cost a little bit. It's like, look, okay, there's table, hotel, travel. Okay, yep. which one of those three can we get rid of? Okay, yep. hotel. If we can get rid of hotel, then it makes it worth it. If you get rid of travel, it makes it worth it. You yeah. know, there's just or you someone. drive, right? Same, same. Exactly. Difference. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's me in Vegas next month. Hey, I'm driving and I'm staying in
1: an Airbnb, so I knocked out one of those things, or at least I reduced it to almost nothing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, that's definitely helpful and uh, you know, uh, live and learn and the more shows you do, the more the better we'll get at this. I guess that would be my first thing, or right, it's yeah. kind of all jumbled into one thing. What's your second that's thing? Fun. So, in the interest of
1: time, I think if you have a bunch of things, I see we've I already do. talked a little about this. So, I'm going to talk about one more thing and I'm going to hold over the other thing until next week because I think this is an important thing to talk about. And then if you want to just laundry list your stuff and go from there, we will before we get into our main topic, which I want to make sure we have some time for. So around, uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to put this. So around Emerald City, I'm not going to name it. um, But I found out at when we were tabling at Emerald City that an artist that I like that I have worked with before was there. And I found out about this because someone was at our table. I think they bought books from either one or both of us. And they put a print down so that they could like make the transaction. And I'm like, I'm looking at the print and I noticed the signature. I'm like, oh, wait, that's somebody that I've worked with before. And um, and then I we talked to the I talked a little bit to the, the person who was, you know, the fan who was, who was buying the stuff there. And it was really cool. So I wanted that print because the print was ridiculous. And so I went up and talked to him and he was like, nah, I sold out of that print. So I found him. I talked to him. I was like, Hey man, it's me. You know, we did some work together. He's like, Oh, I totally remember you, you know? So anyway, I, I tried to get the print, but uh, one thing, you know, led to another and, and something I asked him is like, I was like, this print is super cool. Without giving anything away, really. It's like a composite of characters. And I said, would you be interested in doing a print, you know, not that dissimilar from this for, for Kadoja? and having some kind of neat, like, composite character print. He's like, I would love to do that, man. I love drawing giant monsters, you know. So I was stoked about that, you know. And then there were a couple more conversations and a little more back and forth. In the future, once, you know, once that, once I have that cover in hand, then I will, you know, mention the name and all that stuff, right? But um, I'm really excited for it, you know. The piece that I saw on the table that he had done about another comic property um, was super cool. And, uh, and it inspired me and I was just like, man, I would love to have a conversion version of this. So if all goes well, then I will have that. In fact, um, we've exchanged, um, some Instagram messages over the last few days and he's good to go. And it sounds like he's going to start it in November and we are officially underway on that. So I, I think, I think that's great. You know, like I'm, I'm very happy about it. And, and I was thinking about it in a larger context I'm like what can we talk about with making comics And you know what came up What came up was My response to Chase Edgerly A few weeks ago Where, um, where she was kind of saying like what do I do um, You know do I make this free Do I say it's free with signing up with the With the uh, email list And then you can have you know the preview etc cetera, etc cetera. And my answer at the time Which you know is my answer still Was or You could print it up go to a show and put it out there, you know? And I want to take a little bit of time to talk about how important I think that is. Because one of the reasons, there's two main reasons this ties in to why I think it's important. One is that when you go to a show, and we've talked about this before, I'm going to talk about it again, and Scott might chime in too, because it's really important. The difference in being a person an aspiring artist or an aspiring writer who who buys a ticket to a Comic-Con and walks up to people's tables trying to make connections, trying to make friends, and trying to get prospective interest for their work. You cannot understate how wide a gap that is between that person on that side of the table versus the person who is tabling next to you on your side of the table. You know, so like in terms of people wanting to make connections and find people to do stuff with and all that, so much of it to me really does stem from the fact that once you're on the other side of the table, things change. Because now, you know, instead of like, if you're a fan and you're trying to break in and I get it, man, you know, like I've been that person, but when you're a fan and you're trying to break in and you're, you know, doing stuff and you go up to someone's table and you're talking to them, well, you're talking to them, but there's sort of an opportunity cost because they're there to sell their books. And and do whatever. So it's not that they don't want to talk to you. You know, in my case, it's not that I don't want to talk to you. It's just that, you know, I'm here for another purpose and maybe there's another forum we can have this conversation. But if you're a fellow vendor, then even, even when you come up to someone's table and you're wearing that vendor badge, it's like, oh, okay, this person's doing it like I am. So if you're wearing a vendor badge, all of a sudden you say, hey, you know, like, Any interest? You see a kick ass artist and you say, any interest in doing a cover for me? And then you talk about their book and sometimes they say yes. And you're like, hey, this is great. And so by doing that, you build your network of contacts, you know, and at the risk of repeating something I said a long time ago, that's the best definition of networking. You find people that are cool that you want to work with. And you just build a network of people, you know, it's not this misconception of, quote, networking, where I'm going to go and hand out my business card and talk about myself and make connections and do this shit, you know, like, no, that's not how it works. You know, it's, it's organic. If it's done right, it's organic. And you get this amazing network of people that you can just talk to. And, you know, like that's what I was happy about, right? That when I saw that, I'm like, my God, that art is amazing. And I know this person and we've already worked together. So then you go up there and you can have a great conversation because you've done the work. I mean, it's, it's nine years, man. I've been doing this for nine years. You, you meet a lot of cool people and you, you get a great network of people that can do stuff with, uh, hopefully people aren't drinking on network, but if you aren't, (laughs) Maybe rewind like five minutes and do it because who knows how often we're going to talk about Star Wars this episode. Um, But yeah, again, it's just it's, it's amazing. And look, same with you, Scott. You know, like you've developed a network of people that you've met and you've also developed a network of people that you've contacted that you may be able to go back to again. I mean, you have a kick ass array of people that have done covers for you. And I imagine that most, if not all of them, would be open to do another cover as long as their schedule allows. So, you know, that's. That's thing. um, That's a super important thing about it, you know, and there was a second thing and it slipped my mind. So, you know what? I'll bring it up some other time.
0: Yeah, that's a it's putting your money where your mouth is. You know, there's talking about making comics and then there's making comics. So if you can get an art team together, you can get the uh, the book, you know, actually to exist. That is a bigger thing than, you know, just trying to get people for your mailing list, which is a super important thing. And that's something that, you know, we've implemented into our convention goings. It's like, yeah, you want to build that mailing list, but you also need to have that product. So, you know, find find some local shows in your area. If there's a smaller convention where the table space doesn't cost that much get some books printed, go with Kablam or, or, or Comics Well Spring and uh, get some printed out and take them to the show and sell them as a vendor. And then that way you can talk to other creatives near you, like Keith mentioned, if there's some artists near nearby that look pretty good. And uh, the beauty of also being a vendor, you get in to the show before the fans do. So that means if you only have, like, let's say you have one book to set up and you're the writer, so you don't have any commissions or anything you need to do, you can walk around and check out other people Stuff and you're like, Hey, I'm selling my book over there. I like your art. Do you want to do you have the bandwidth to do a cover or, or you know, interiors or whatever? Right? So, that's a great way to make new connections and be on the other side of the table. And that's what you really want. Once you're on that other side of the table, it's really hard to go back. Um, I know since I've been tabling. I don't think I've attended a show just as a fan. It's just for me, it's too difficult. It was like, uh, when I started wrestling, it's hard for me to just attend a show as a, a wrestling fan. It seems kind of weird to me. Um, but that's me, you know, it might not be no. the same thing for you, but, uh, you know, that's, that's my advice as well. Makes sense.
1: Makes sense. And, in, and actually in that context, I remembered my other big thing I wanted to talk about, about my logic before, why you should just put something out and sell it because the only way, and again, not that we haven't touched on this before, but the only way that you're going to get better and we can all get better, even even the best people in this business still try to get better and they still think their current work can improve is by making stuff, releasing it, you know, calling it your own and then moving on to the next thing. You know, there's this cool, I, I can't remember if I mentioned it on the podcast or not, but I don't think I did. There's this cool little video that Martin told me about. Um, it's someone putting like videos and images to this um, well-known thing that Ira Glass says um, called The Gap. And so if anybody wants to take like two minutes out, just go to YouTube and find Ira Glass The Gap. And that's a great little bit that talks about how the best way that you're going to get better and, um, and just create better things is by creating things. And what you will find is this happens to a person, you know, a friend of mine was just talking today about how Sam Raimi, apparently there's some old Q and a where they were asking him, you know, somebody stands up typical and like, what advice would you, would you give to a, a, a filmmaker trying to get started? And he was like, make a film every week, make a short film, make a crappy film, just make something, just do it because that's how you're going to get better. You're going to get better by doing it and making things, you know? So that's kind of like my second reason on why I would encourage, you know, just putting it out there and getting it done because you get it done and then you can move on to the next thing and you can keep on building a body of work and you're going to get better the whole way and you will never stop getting better.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The more effort you put in, the better you get at, you know, it's just practice makes perfect. The more you do things, the better you get at it. Um, I have a laundry list of things that I have done this week. Uh, A combination of last week and this week. I think we had to cut last week a little bit short, too. Um, Thumbnails for Second Shift 13 are done. So I had started them, I think, a couple of weeks back uh, according to this pod, and we've had a show since then, so a lot of times it has passed. The thumbnails are done, and so I'll be moving into the pencil stage of that issue very, very soon. Um, The slipcase, I have been talking about that for a few weeks. The colors have been done. I had sent those to the printer. They sent me a mock-up of the thing printed. Uh, They actually sent it printed out. They had a digital version of it. And then they sent me a physical version, uh, a picture of the physical version. They have it printed out. They confirmed my address. And I believe it is being shipped this week. So... I have not got a tracking number or anything, so I'm not sure if it got sent out today, but I'll follow up with them uh, tonight, and then hopefully I'll get an email, email back tomorrow morning with a tracking number. So, very cool. Uh, I'm very excited to have those. I posted up a little teaser image of it, just like a part of the front cover, and uh, I already had uh, somebody asking me, how do I get this? So, that that's a great sign.
1: Yeah.
0: I'd like to buy 40. Hello, sir. (laughs) I would love you to buy 40. That would help a lot. Uh, Something that happened while we're out in Vegas or in Vegas, you had said Vegas. So Vegas is on my mind Uh, while we're out in Seattle. So I had started doing a character sheet on the flight to Seattle of one of the characters that are going to be in second shift 13. So she has a pixie cut, a pixie cut. uh, It is a very short haircut. Um, I don't know how to describe it. Google it for all you peoples out there that don't know what a pixie cut is. Um, a benefit of being in Seattle, there are girls walking around with pixie cuts. It is a very, very uh, relevant haircut in Seattle. So it was nice to study firsthand that haircut. That was something I was going to need to Google. I just wanted to look up a couple of details, like how the back looks exactly And, uh, I've seen it enough from the front where I, you know, had a good idea of it, but it was good to see live and in person, how the back of the hair flowed like from the bangs to the back. So that was really cool. Uh, nothing like live hand experience to, uh, make your art look better, more realistic. Um, the last thing on Seattle that I have vegging out. So after doing a show, if you have not done a show, a big show, Maybe little shows. I don't. I don't know how it is for you, but for me, after I do a big show like San Diego Comic Con, Seattle, um, three, four day shows, Phoenix, when I get back home, it is very difficult for me to be in the proper headspace to be creative. I need to veg out. I need to relax. I need a couple of days just to get right, just to be myself again. And Emerald City was no except uh, like no exception. It, it was definitely one of the, like, I think I needed to veg out more after Emerald City than I did San Diego. So uh, I guess he- San Diego helped being in my hometown. So it wasn't like me having to get on a plane or anything like that. And I was able to sleep in my own bed. Um, but Emerald City definitely took it out of me. And there was straight up two, two to three days where I did not want to do anything. I was like, mm-hmm. no, you know what? I'm going to sit here and I'm going to dick around on my phone because I deserve it. Yeah. I just worked really hard for four days with two days of travel and yeah. I just want to chill the fuck out. And you yeah. know what? That's okay.
1: Yeah. No, that, that dude, that's a, that's a great point because that's something, especially I think you and I, because we are so, we are just so Rihanna Scott. We are so work, 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 <laughs> work, work, work that we do, we do forget to talk about the value of doing nothing. And, you know, we're not encouraging doing nothing as a lifestyle. We're encouraging when, you know, listen to yourself and know what to do, you know. So same thing here, man. I mean, I've I sort of didn't have the luxury of vegging as much because um, my mother, uh, she's she's now living in Florida. She moved back to Florida. And so by the time I got back, she was here for another day or two. So it was very, you know, kind of closing up shop for mom and, and doing all that. She she hung out with us because she kind of moved out of her old place before the airport. But still, it was kind of edge because it's like, yeah, we're going to go out and have dinner with mom. You know, and then the next day I, I turned right around and took her to the... You know, I came home on a Sunday and put mom on a plane on Tuesday, you know, so... um I think I'm still sort of relaxing, uh, still sort of smoothing things out. So I expect some of my veg out to happen in the coming days because, you know, you can't always control when you do it. But there is value there. There's so much value in vegging out. You know, you and I both have plenty of things we like to do. You can watch a show. You can read a book. You can read this stack of comics that we've been working on. And uh, and go from there, man. So, yeah, man. Great, great point. Don't be afraid to take time for yourself and chill, especially when your body and your brain is telling you, because comic conventions are kind of crazy. If they're busy, you're exhausted. If they're dead, you're exhausted (laughs) because it's, you know, when if a convention is dead, time moves like you are standing in a bank line. It is so slow. You can just sit staring ahead or, you know, look, you keep that smile on because we're professionals and you watch people walk by and just think, like, it's been a really long time. And you look down and it's been 15 minutes on your watch. (laughs) Yeah. So it it does take it out of you. Both ways it takes it out of you. And Emerald City was a strange combination of totally dead time and absolute active time. You know, there was one of those days where by by one o'clock, I thought I was going to smash my record one day, I had an insane morning where it was just people, 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 selling, 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 blah, blah, blah. And then I got maybe like one or two sales over the next hour and then it fell off a cliff. I think over the last four or five hours of the day, I got one sale, right? So it's it's just weird. You can't control any of this stuff, man. All you can do is just be a pro and keep the smile on your face and do your best.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I got to say, taking those couple of days off, I needed it so much, and it helped. Um, even even though the third day when I was like, you know what, I I think I should do something, there's just something in me. It's just like you're wasting so much time. Mm-hmm. I, I needed those couple of days, but I think the time is done now, and you need to do something. Yeah. And the thing that I did was uh, study. So I had talked about this previously, maybe a couple of weeks ago at this point, that I wanted to make sure that I was putting in, putting in study time every week, you know, uh, watching the Dave Finch channel and checking out a couple of videos on neck tutorials and with Eric Canetti, uh, th- those were tremendous. I really got a kick out of it. They energized me in a way, um, uh, that was just different than me just looking at art and wanting to draw. It was just like, okay, cool. Well, let me implement the things that I'm learning. So I want to continue that. And I did that this week. And, uh, so I think, maybe on Mondays or Wednesdays, something, I won't give it a designated day. I will take that time and just study. And so this week it was J. Scott Campbell. That was the artist I decided to pick. Uh, After doing the show, there was a lot of things that I was examining about the booth, about the cover, about my displays. I was like, okay, what do I need to do? What do I need to adjust? And um, I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to make a banner that has my girl characters. My girl characters are attractive. And uh, what will help with that? Who's who's an artist that draws really attractive women? That the style is close enough to mine where I can really study them and see what they do to make their women pop. That artist is J. Scott Campbell. Yep. You know, so I was just like, all right, I have enough of his work. There's enough work online that I can just grab real quick, save it to my iPad, and just study. And so that's what I did on Wednesday. And it was really fun, man. Like, I really enjoyed it it was uh interesting i learned a lot just doing a few different pieces um something i wanted to study were uh legs or or like the torso to uh, legs like just how he does it there's just something he does that makes that part of the woman pop like in his in his work specifically and then i took some time to uh, study some eyes of his which i've done before like if you look at My art, the eyes are very reminiscent of J. Scott Campbell already, Uh, Mm -hmm. like between him and Jim Lee. It's just like there's a nice little middle ground there. That's that's how I draw women's eyes. And um, so I did a little bit of an eye study there and then as well as mouths. So he has very expressive... Uh, uh, mouths, eyes, eyebrows. So those were just interesting things to check out and like very helpful. So um, it was good, man. I really enjoyed doing it. And it was the right amount of creativity without having to think overly too hard. Like, okay, I'm gonna create this new pose and like what? how is their arms or legs gonna be? You know, I'm gonna gonna foreshorten this and all of that. No, I didn't have to do any of that. I was studying something that he had already drawn And I just, the only brain power that I needed to see was how he did it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, art is visual. So I'm not thinking that that hard, but you're copying it, you're mimicking it and making it sure, making sure it looks as much like his piece uh, as, as you can. And uh, while you're doing that, you're learning. Yeah,
1: that makes sense. And uh, I think that's super cool way to spend your time, especially when it's this, I want to do stuff, but I don't really want to do something. Um, And while you were talking, you know, for for artists out there, if you look up J. Scott Campbell and you're like, you know, I think it's cool, but it may not be my style. I'm going to throw out a couple other names that may be worth your time and maybe you can check them out. Um, These are three people that I can think of that all draw really gorgeous women and that uh, have different kind of styles. And I hope I get these names right. So number one is Terry Moore. I think Terry Moore draws really pretty women, um, especially in *Strangers in Paradise*. I think he does some great work there. Um, I believe his name is Frank Quietly. Um Frank Quitely also draws amazing women, and uh, and hey, if if uh, if if you if you want to dip a little bit more into the rated R waters, then I believe there's an artist. I think his name out there is Milo Manara, and he does some amazing uh, stuff. But he also does like a lot of erotic art. But it's it's very it's kind of like. Mobius-ish, almost. You know what I mean? Like, it has a very distinct European style. So I hope I have all those names right, but again, just a couple other names out there. Hey, all it takes is a quick Google search, and you'll see whether that person's right for you if you want to flex your muscles
0: a little bit. Yeah, Adam Hughes, uh, Mark Brooks, those are a couple of other artists. Terry Dodson, they're, they all draw very beautiful, beautiful women. So... Mm. Um, I was looking for someone more similar to my work. But yeah, and you obviously want to branch out. You don't always want to try to find artists that draw exactly like you or somewhere around you. It's good to test the waters in other areas. But what I was looking for that day was someone like J. Scott Campbell. And in fact, it was J. Scott Campbell. So, uh, but yeah, check no. those other artists out as well and uh, round out your portfolio. Try try yeah. different things out. You, may, you never know. You might be more interested in the way that Adam Hughes draws someone as opposed to, you know, a J. Scott Campbell. It's like, yeah, that might yeah. appeal to you more. Exactly. I
1: mean, in, in your case too, like, dude, I, I got you. You know, I ride for you on this one because you were looking to do a banner and you're trying to pick someone who draws a lot like you that you can, you know, take some tips from and uh, and just ratchet up your own stuff just a little bit. So, same thing,
0: man. You know what I mean? Like I yeah, you're looking for someone in your wheelhouse totally, totally. Yeah, definitely. I got a couple more things, but I'm going to leave it there for now. I'm just going to save that for next week. They're going to be just as relevant uh, as relevant and prevalent then as they are right now. So, we'll move on to the main topic and that is anatomy. But it's not yeah. the anatomy that you think. It's not standard anatomy. We're looking at artists that push anatomy in one way or another.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can start. I mean, this is it. Look, I feel I feel a bit like a moron, a writer talking about anatomy. Like, take take this all. First of all, I am a moron. That's important to know. Second of all, I feel especially like a moron right now because I am way out of my lane. But... I think I feel pretty good about these two things. So I, I was thinking about two artists that um, that do it. And one of them I'm a little less confident in, only because other people have told me that there are some issues with the anatomy. I'm not an artist, so I can't see it. But the first one, and I hope I pronounce his name right, is um, I think it's Daniel Breridan, um, who, who has a very painted style. He did a book called Nocturnals, um, he did another book that involves kaiju and kaiju hunting, and it is fantastic. And because I didn't bother to research that book, I can't remember what it's called. But uh, I really like it a lot. So Daniel Brereton has a painted style, and from what I understand, his anatomy is is a bit maybe thicker and, and a little more foreshortened than you would see in standard, or a little bit shortened in terms of how you would see standard anatomy. But... um. I I think his stuff works. I mean, it's a very unique kind of painted style and uh, it's atmospheric. And I think it serves the atmosphere of the book. And from what I can tell, Scott is looking it up right now and can probably throw some expert words on top of what I just said.
0: Yeah, it looks really, really cool. I'm, I'm digging, I'm really digging it. Um, I'm just looking at a bunch wrong about
1: it. What's wrong about it?
0: I don't see anything wrong with it. Really? Um, Okay. I'm seeing a bunch of covers so mm-hmm. I'm not getting any interior, so I, I, I can't speak to what his art looks like overall. But when we're just looking at cover work, I really enjoy this. It's just, it's very different. Um, he uses a lot of, his palette's very dark, and then there's this one piece specifically where it looks kind of almost, well, it's nocturnal. She kind of looks like Lady Death. Uh, she has white skin and white yeah. hair. And, um... The color palette he used on her and a little goth girl—they're in the foreground—and it really pops out because he has the background in lots of different shades of reds and browns, and it really brings them forward. Um, I don't see anything wrong, so I, I can't—I can't speak to what they're saying. You know, there's—it might be his faces. It might be the fact that okay. like his his characters all
1: have a certain type of eye and a certain type of incredibly pronounced cheekbone. Um, yeah. Again, I, I also get the feeling, based on my very non-expert opinion, that the torsos are perhaps a bit oversized in relation to the legs. Um, you know, like 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 the legs are a little bit shorter on people than mm. than you might see in other places. But you know, you're also going for something. You, you just have to ask yourself, but does it work? You know, like right. you could look, you, you could nitpick
0: a whole lot of artists. Um, and again, I was like I was looking at images images while you were speaking, so I don't know if you had mentioned this. Uh, it's not a one to one. Like mm-hmm. if you're looking at it and you're not exactly sure with what I'm talking about when I say this, there's some Mike Mignola there. Mm-hmm. like yes, the I way agree. He, the way he composes covers and uh certain images there's there's some mike mignola there especially the color palette that he's using so um i i dig it man um if if there were more images to go off besides these covers then i can speak to what people are saying i did see a couple of those instances when you were talking about the legs and maybe the arms um there was an image where the arm looked a little short but uh it was a foreshortened arm i just don't think it was done all that well, that specific image, but a lot of these other ones, it's very uh, Lovecraft-y, and I can see why you would dig it. This is definitely your wheelhouse.
1: Yeah, man, I mean, I I still remember, I think, one of my earliest shows, the first time I ever did WonderCon, uh, tabled there, I actually looked up the artist roster, and, you know, that was a nice moment for me, because it was one of these moments of, like, I'm in Artist Alley, and here's who else is in Artist Alley. Like, Dan Brereton. You know, and some of these other people, and I was just like, I'm one of them. I'm one of them now, and uh, I I did go over to him. I cl- I just left my table for a few minutes, and I wanted to let him know that I was a huge fan. And I ended up buying like a grip of shit from him, and he ended up throwing in all kinds of other free shit too. And it was it was really fun to meet him. And actually, when I was uh, doing my best to prep for this episode. But having trouble really identifying, fine-tuning the issues with anatomy, yeah, I, I dug through and found a couple books of mine that I had bought from him, and they were signed to me and all that fun stuff. So it was really cool. Um,
0: yeah. Okay, so I was a little worried, and I was actually going to prep you with the artist that I was going to pick in fear that we would pick the same artists. I hope so, we didn't, because my second one, I, pre- I pray you don't pick him right now, or we're going to pick him. Okay. Um, well, see, then now I'm like... Well, I'm going to try to pick the one that I think we have in common. Okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Let's go. Fucking Um,
0: hive brain, man. We've done 93 episodes together. Can we make this work? Jeff Lemire. That is not him. No. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, now I'm worried about the other one. (laughs) So, um, okay. So the first artist that I have is Jeff Lemire. And are you familiar with uh, Sweet Tooth? Have you read Sweet Tooth? I haven't read Sweet
1: Tooth, but I am a fan of at least, uh, so there are two Jeff Lemire books that he drew that I'm a massive fan of, and Maze Book and Trillium are those two books,
0: which I believe he did the art on. Okay, so I believe, I have not looked up his Wikipedia, so I don't know how accurate this is, but I believe the first book he drew was Sweet Tooth. Okay. That could be wrong, but that was definitely his first, like, monster hit.
1: I love the fact that we're pros doing a podcast and we just don't do shit for research.
0: <laughs> Look, man, I was researching this art right before the show. I was like, exactly. hey, we're doing anatomy today. Right. And you're like, yeah, it's just like five stars on Apple Podcasts, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> don't forget it. Yeah. <laughs> my my amount of research Top. was uh, 30 minutes right before we recorded. Exactly so, exactly. so I had a couple of artists in mind. I had one in mind specifically, and it's, it's my second artist, which I'll name. Uh, but I was digging through my books. I was looking through my collection. And most of the books that I read are artists that don't necessarily exaggerate anatomy. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, yeah, they draw like standard comic book artists. Yes. Like all their st- their styles vary to degrees. But the bodies are proportionate. They're, they're what they're supposed to be. There's no exaggeration there. And then I got to my trade paperback section. And, oh, no, no. I hadn't even gotten to it. I was going alphabetical order through through my books. And I got to, um, I believe it's Royal City. And that is a Jeff Lemire book. And I was like, fucking Jeff Lemire. That's, that's who my other artist is going to be. It's Jeff Lemire. And so I have volumes one through six of Street, uh, Sweet Tooth and Trade Paperback. And I grabbed the first volume. And then I grabbed the sixth volume. Because I wanted to see how his style changed Over all of those issues. So I think each Mm -hmm. trade is roughly four to six issues. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, this first trade, it feels like this, this is very difficult to say. Um, It feels very basic in Mm -hmm. style. Uh, there's a lot of basic shots, a lot of front on shots, not a lot of three quarters. there's a lot of uh, zooming in and zooming out. He's actually quite good with picking moments when you would zoom into a book or into a, a panel. And so as far as his uh, uh, composition goes, it's pretty good like it's it's like his storytelling is strong. you know it's a lot of uh, front on shots and and mid shots, but, just the way he's composing it works very very well. Uh, going from the first volume, he's picking very safe, safe angles. There's a few that are slightly difficult than others, but for the most part, they're very basic. But as you go on through the series, it gets stronger and stronger. By this, by the sixth volume, he's tackling some very difficult angles. His body work, his body language is so much stronger. There is a. Um, he has proportion, I wouldn't say problems, because his style is so stylized that the first trade paperback, you're like, wow, his he exaggerates like body proportion quite a bit. The The mm-hmm. arms are really long, the legs yeah, are really short. Arms. Yeah, long mm-hmm. And it's like to the point where the, the hands are like around the kneecaps. And mm-hmm. it's just like, man, that's kind of crazy to look at, but I kind of like looking at it anyway. It doesn't matter that it's not quote-unquote correct. So, um, but when you get to the sixth volume of Sweet Tooth... Things are are changing a bit. It's like the body language, the 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 storytelling, uh, the the acting in the bodies are so much stronger by then, and um, it's just a delight to look at because it's not a conventional style that you would associate with comic books. You mm-hmm. know, like if you saw that style, I would say the thing that you would associate it first with is children's books. Mm-hmm. Children's Absolutely. books. There, there is this consistency like there's a childlike art to it but there's a consistency there that's that's how you know that's that's the difference between a child drawing and an artist knowing what he's doing it's just like yeah there's there's youth there there's a playfulness there but um you know the the more he goes on the stronger he gets and and it's a beautiful work so check that out uh sweet tooth uh, I recommend that Keith recommended a couple of other titles there that mm-hmm. he's doing currently or had done most more currently and uh, those are some nice books to look at and it's it's very exaggerated if you can come up with a style all your own as long and this is something we've talked about many a times consistency is key if you're lettering and you're lettering quote unquote weird or not the norm if you're doing it throughout your book then you're doing it right so as long yeah. as you're drawing the, your style as long as you're consistent with it throughout and obviously there's nothing wrong with getting better with it but uh, if, if the style is recognizable as your own as you're going on there's nothing wrong with that yeah, and I mean
1: you'll never you never know your style may end up being something that other people ape. Uh, this unorthodox thing that was quote wrong, you know. Which by the way, I forgot to mention our coolest Emerald City thing, which is speaking of someone who has become a huge influence on a lot of current artists. Um, I briefly met Daniel Warren Johnson, and I got him to sign a couple ash cans. And something I did while I walked Artist Alley is uh, I, I surprised your boy Scott. With an ash can that was signed by him and signed to him. So yeah, I just came back to the booth and I was like, here you go, dude. And then you were like, oh, this is cool. And I'm like, yeah, open it. You know, and then it said like to Scott, you know, and then had the Daniel Warren Johnson signature. So yeah, he's dude. Daniel Warren Johnson's awesome, and uh, you know, I love his stuff, and I was thrilled to have the ash cans. I just kind of unpacked my books yesterday, so they're sitting right there, and I haven't read them yet. I'm saving. I'm even though they're tiny little ash cans, I'm just saving them for the right right moment. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's
0: that's the best reason to save them because they're they're probably I don't know six to eight pages long. You know, they're not yeah. they're not very long. The one you got me was a uh, thank you, Liger. Mm-hmm. which is the uh, tribute to uh, Juice and Thunder Liger, who retired I think uh, a couple of years ago at this point, I think in 2020 maybe. Um, uh, time is... Uh, Relative, so I can't can't really remember when that happened. Just compressed two and a half years. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so it was it was awesome. I was honestly I was more thrilled than uh, Keith relayed right there. I was pretty ecstatic about it. I don't know if I relayed that to you (laughs) outside, but inside I was like, oh shit, this is fucking awesome. Like that's awesome. It's pretty badass, dude. So I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah. So uh, so let's get to my second artist, and uh, I don't know. I I was I was hoping you didn't take this one because I feel like the second artist is obvious um in that they are wrong but they are oh so right and that is the king of comics baby jack kirby um, oh when you talk about you know so i actually hey podcast listeners you just you get that trigger figure ready finger ready for the five stars, okay, because I did do a good, solid forty-five minutes of research on Jack Kirby, just going through it, because that was my thing. I'm like, I know he's got an anatomy thing, and what I'm gonna do when this episode posts is, I found this really cool, like, kind of sketch piece he did um, that he had signed, and it it sums up a couple basic Kirbyisms that are kind of wrong in terms of anatomy or movement. And uh, and still works so well. And of course, because I just had a, a big beer, I can only remember two of them. But I believe in and again, I'm also talking to Scott and, and I can't queue up my phone. He he tends to do huge hands. That's that's a very common Kirby thing. Another common Kirby thing is that he does, you know, people just feel like, like you could take normal people in Photoshop and then just shrink them, like crush them along the top and bottom axes to make every single person chunkier and meatier and shorter and stouter. And that's also a Kirby thing, right? So he's got that going on he also does like some bizarre ass foreshortening when it comes to things like you can see people with like a super long arm coming to you and a massive hand. Um, and, and so there's a bunch of things he, he does quote unquote wrong. And the final thing that you see a lot, you know, when you like go online and look at some articles about it is you'll see very exaggerated movements. Like he seems to be a huge fan of the extended follow through that nobody ever does. So like, I'm just going to do this to Scott, but like, I I can't twist... like Picture yourself uh, taking one hand, putting one hand on a baseball bat, and then swinging that baseball bat all the way through. If you twist your arm to the max possible on this follow-through of a bat, that's almost still... In general, that's still not as much as Kirby will draw some of these follow-throughs on his follow-throughs. So there's a lot of shit he does wrong. But here's the thing. In doing it wrong... There is a lot of knowledge of anatomy there. He is over exaggerating it for emphasis for style and like just because it, it it gets the vibe of everything you know what I mean So anybody could critique Jack Kirby's anatomy for being wrong because it is <laughs> you know but but what it is is it's great storytelling anatomy and it's great comic anatomy and it serves the purpose of the stories it's trying to tell. He's telling big tales about larger than life heroes. So why wouldn't you have, you know, slightly off anatomy and larger than life, larger, you know, big exaggerated movements that also fit that, you know? So, um, I think that's great. And I think that's something that I see in comics a lot, you know, without, uh, without going too much into detail. I just sent Scott before the podcast a panel that the current Kadoja artist is working on um, from the second issue of Symphony of Madness and uh, in the panel I sent you I believe there's this crazy scene where there's like this huge follow through and, and like one character is basically kind of like hitting another and the character is basically like parallel to the ground but almost like splayed out in mid-air because they've taken a punch so, so hard. Like, it would be very hard to recreate that in real life, but oh my god, does it work on a comic page because it is just this exaggerated motion. And uh, yes, yeah, so, so, so dynamic. So anyway, yeah, Kirby is like the master of making dynamic movements and having characters that have anatomy that's wrong but somehow overdone, which in a weird way, just works even more, you know, there, there was only one King and, uh, and, you know, for all the things he did wrong, he made it right in the end. And, uh, and that's why he's, he's a legend. He's a unique, unique talent.
0: Yeah. Everything you said there accurate. Definitely. Um, The, the benefit that Kirby had as well was he almost never inked himself. Mm -hmm. Um, He famously said, why would I draw the same thing twice? Yeah. So he would leave that up to the inker. And what you get with Kirby's pencils is that kinetic energy that most artists are searching for. So if you if you're an artist that is does is doing, excuse me, words, if you're an artist that's trying to do action sequences, <laughs> then you want that kinetic energy. You want to feel like your still images are moving, and that's something Kirby could do beautifully. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, yeah, there was elements to his art that wasn't necessarily beautiful and they were things all to himself. um, But they became iconic to the point that other people were aping those habits that were, quote unquote, wrong. You know, Mm -hmm. the big blocky hands, the stubby fingers, the blocked out fingers. um, It became his trademark. And, you know, what's interesting is I've mentioned this, I don't know, once or twice Artists have a tendency to draw. If you tell an artist to draw a nose, they will more than likely draw their own nose, not knowing that they're drawing their nose, their own nose. They will draw their own nose, Mm -hmm. and same with eyes, mouth, etc. They are going to draw themselves. If you tell them to draw a generic man, they are going to draw. If they are a man, they are going to draw someone that looks very similar to themselves, not knowing so. Uh, Mm -hmm. Jack Kirby was a very short, stout man. A lot of his characters, short, stout people it's yeah. like yeah they were jacked and and all of that stuff but uh yeah it's it's just creatures of habit you know we <laughs> that just makes have a tendency me, to do that that makes me want to meet jeff
1: lemire it makes me think he's like seven foot one with a seven foot seven wingspan it would make jay billis thrilled
0: <laughs> oh yeah he was a a monster in a uh, college <laughs> shot blocker led, led the league in block sh- yeah led college in block shots three years running <laughs> all right man what's your what's your uh, second and final artist you wanted to talk about here um, OK, so my second art. before I go to the second real quick, something I, I wrote down notes for Jeff Lemire and I didn't use them. Um, another thing that I noticed about his art, and, and this is just a guess because I haven't seen it. It doesn't appear that he would have a lot of underdrawings. like the way he draws. It reminds me of when I'm just drawing with a pen. And I'm just going for it. Like there's no mm-hmm. erasing. You're just kind of doodling and drawing in the moment. And I feel like a lot of his work is something along there. So it's just, it's so interesting. And I don't know that his pages, if that is what is happening. I don't know gotcha. that his pages would take all that long. You know, it's just like, yeah, if you're not doing a ton of underdrawing and you're just drawing with your pen and uh, your, your brush, it's like, man, that's gonna go pretty quick. And so that would explain a lot, like with early on composition, if you're just going for it, you're not going and you're not doing a lot of under, underdrawing, uh, you're going to have a lot of straight on shots. That's just kind of how it is. Um, okay. So my second artist is Sam Keith. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. So if you were a reader in the nineties and you were following Sam Keith in his Marvel run and then his image run with, uh, Max, you know that this man, oh, also Sandman very early work from San Keith was in the Sandman. He did not like his own work in there, but he is one of those artists that do not like their own work. It's just how it is. Like, uh, that's who he is. Apparently, if you would compliment him at shows, he would get upset. He did not like to receive compliments. It's just a funny thing about him. (laughs) He's like, how dare you? I suck. (laughs) (laughs) Get out of here. Just take this for free. It's trash. exactly. Exactly. Um, so he does great exaggerated bodies. Um, he, he's very much a cartoonist in the sense that he does not rely on standard American-style comics. Like, that's that's not what it, the skeleton, that's not what his framework looks like, you know. Um, I couldn't even tell you who his influence, influences are. He's so unique to himself. The one thing I do love about his work is is how he'll pick a certain part of the body to detail highly and then just kind of make shapes with the rest of it. And it, it translates so, so well. It's like, okay, he's, he's really sculpted that shoulder muscle. He's really s- sculpted the trap and, um, or on the tricep. And it's just like, man, those, those have great detail. And then you just kind of see this large lump for maybe the chest and, and, it just reads. You just understand what's going on. You don't even question it, and it's a uh, such beautiful, beautiful work. So, if you're not familiar with Sam Keith, I highly recommend uh, number one checking out his early Marvel, early Marvel work. So much like Sweet Tooth, how I checked out the first volume. I actually checked out the first two volumes of Sweet Tooth, and uh, it was it was a long line, uh, more or less, more or less similar. Um, but by the time he gets to that sixth, it really takes a jump. So the max. And his Marvel work, it's, it's interesting because he almost works in reverse. So his early Marvel work and the early Max work, there's so much detail in everything. But as the series goes on, like the last issues that I have is 30 and 34. It is all cartooning. Like everyone is just these shapes. There is not like a structured body underneath And like, trust me when I say that everything translates well, you understand everything about what he's doing. So it's nothing wrong. It's just different. So it's just like the Marvel work, it's superhero work. So there's some, some body frame in there. There's a lot of muscle max early on, lots of muscle. And, um, as the series goes on, he gets cartoonier and cartoonier and just completely goes away from that high detail that I loved so much in those early issues. So it still looks cool, but um, I'm just not a cartooning type of person. Like the things that I enjoy the most, like live action cartoons are one thing, you know, not live action. What am I saying here? Animated, animated uh, cartoons, mm-hmm. super into that. Um, comic strips, not really my room. I don't dislike yeah. them or anything. It's just not something I'm super into. So mm-hmm. as the series got on, I was just like, yeah, this is just going further and further from what I enjoy about the series. Not to mention that the story is difficult to understand overall. Um, but, uh, really check out that early work by Sam Keith. Lots of strong stuff there.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm going to say something very clearly, so it doesn't get taken out of context. I'm a huge fan of Sam Keith. I think his shit is awesome. In fact, um, I would compare back in Kadoja volume one. I would actually compare Rory's volume one art to Sam Keith because it's expressive you feel Sam Keith that's what I like you know Like, and you know that's my shit like you know when we went to Spiro's Heroes you're like picking out all the comics that your boy Keith likes because you know that I just like art you can feel as much as art you can appreciate
0: <laughs> you know I'm gonna throw one more out there we're running late already so there's not a lot of time but uh, an artist that kind of started the trend I believe for me uh, particularly, you guys can tell me if I'm wrong. Making comics podcast at gmail.com. Uh, back in the 90s, Humberto Ramos started this bigfoot art generation. So he was just super cartoony compared to everybody else that was out at the time. And he was kind of like, for me, the pioneer to bring on people like Joe Matarera, who was like big hands, big feet. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I noticed Humberto Ramos for the first time on the series Impulse. And, you know, he's a running character. He's part of the Flash family, but he had these massive feet and there was just and something about it that just stood out as. Who is this guy? How is he doing this? This is doesn't seem right, but it seems right. Mm-hmm. And um, just wanted to give him a shout out because he was one of the first people that I noticed that was exaggerating a part of the body that was. So not the trend of that time. When you think 90s, you think cross-hatching, you think giant muscles on muscles on muscles. Humberto Ramos was drawing a teenager who looked like a scrawny teenager, you know, like pipes for arms and uh, these fucking massive shoes. So I was just like, this is crazy. I don't know what's going on, but I really like it.
1: Yeah, man. So, I, I mean, I think that's, that's all we have to say there. It, it was more about us looking through our comic collection and this is something we might do more of you know like taking an idea we we know that that everybody listening here has a basic understanding of that idea but let's go out there and try to find some people that do it wrong and yet do it oh so right and uh, because that's that's you know this is a visual medium and it's also like an exaggerated medium if people wanted correct anatomy they'd be reading photo books right they're reading comic books so that's the key right it, it's much like and you know we've talked about this a little bit in in previous episodes about dialogue right that the trick about dialogue in places like comics is to make it seem like real dialogue when it's not real dialogue because there's no small talk in comics dialogue there's no small talk in movies and television unless the writer is trying to prove a point right about about the mundanity of it or something like that right so in this case again you're, you're almost never going to see perfect anatomy. You're going to see a lot of clean anatomy, but you know all the artists we gave you, man, they're fantastic. They're hugely popular, rightfully so. And uh, it's because they did things a little bit different and they did things a little bit, quote unquote, wrong. And we encourage you to try that as well. That's been a big theme of our podcast through these first uh, you know almost 100 episodes now. Absolutely. Um, you got any bullshit you got to bring? I do. I, I want to talk about two quick things, okay? Number one... I would be, I'm sure you got a couple things too, but I'm just, I'm going to keep it to two because I do want to mention this. You've heard this story before, Scott, but when, when we first arrived in Seattle, um, the idea was that, you know, I, I arrived in Seattle, maybe an hour and a half before Scott, I was going to grab a lift from the airport and then Scott was going to grab a lift and we'd meet there, but I'd still have like an hour and a half advance to set up, right? So when I, when I forgot my banner, I get off the plane. I'm like, well, wait a minute. I just have two carry-on size suitcases. They're heavy, but they're carry-ons. So I can either pay $49 for a lift or I can pay three for public transportation. So I paid three for public transportation. So look, <laughs> you, you, are, you are paying something when you are saving $46 plus tip, Okay. And, and so Chris aka Ruckus who is the bassist of Big Pimp Jones um, um, I text him whenever I have questions about what drug someone is on so Seattle public transportation was a great place to play one of my favorite recurring games which is name that drug and, uh, <laughs> and in this case a person was there and I'm like you know I'm pretty observant of my surroundings I like to think so I see this person is just kind of sitting there hunched over and you know, I'm observing all the people on the train taking one note, right, and then, at some point at a stop, the person just gets up and sort of prowls to the back of the car on the other side and sits and they they do a thing where they kind of like they're hunched over and they kind of slap each pole as they go by, and then they just ducked in and I was like, "Well, that's weird behavior so that's when the person got my attention, and then the person proceeded to. In between stops, or whenever they want to just kind of get up and change seats on the train. And there was a restlessness to them and a kind of panther like behavior to the way that they were moving. They just kind of prowled the cabin on the train car like a panther. So, this is around the time where I texted Ruckus and I said, Hey, man, this person's doing this and this person's doing that. Name that drug. And he's like, Sounds like meth. I'm like, okay. So, so I was like, so, I mean, I'm just keeping my eye on this guy because he's just acting strange and I'm thinking this dude better not get within five feet of me because I just don't trust him. You know, in general, he never did anything harmful. He didn't have anything on him. He was just wearing a white t-shirt and pants, you know, nothing just didn't look like he had anything, but it was, it still had a totally weird vibe. And then at one point he ended up prowling back to my section of the car and actually going behind me. And he came within a couple feet of me, and I'm just like, I got, dude, I got my backhand ready, you know, like my, my pimp <laughs> slap, my pimp, my super powered pimp slap. Keep your pimp hand re- strong. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Or I'll throw this 35 pound suitcase on you, you know, if I have to. But um, he he then ended up getting uh, getting on. Actually, at one point, he got off the train while the door was open, and then ran back on the train. So the behavior just seemed to be getting progressively weirder and anyway after he (laughs) he went behind me he sat then finally walked back so i could see him and i quick turned just to catch an eye like is this dude in the seat behind me but then finally he got off the train and was off the train for good and when he came by dude his eyes were so dilated that i couldn't tell where the pupil was and where the iris was so i gave i gave ruckus a little bit of follow-up i'm like very very dilated pupils he's like yeah that's meth and i'm like okay (laughs) so um so yeah that was that was my fun three dollar experience on seattle public transit i will mention that this is combining two years but then when i got off of the train station you know you have to take a couple elevators up and um this year i didn't have any problems with taking the elevator up one floor and then kind of walking over and then going somewhere but um but well actually no this year I take that back. There's there's three levels, right? You're at the bottom level where the train is, a mezzanine, median level and then the street level. So when I'm and and the elevator doesn't go all the way up. So from level 2 to level 1, not not the ground level, I I I I try to take the elevator and I see that no one's on it. And I'm like, "Wow, this is great. I'm shocked no one's on this elevator." And then um I got on the elevator and the door closed and I realized why. Because there was a puddle of urine there. And I'm like, <laughs> Okay, You know, now Now the great news about this is um, I was wearing my mask. So I didn't smell it. It was fantastic. So I went off and I, and I got off and then I managed to make my way to street level and it brought back what had happened to me on that exact same elevator last December when I went to the previous Emerald City because I did the same thing. And on that case, I got, I, I opened the elevator on the second, tried to, to go up to the first and um, there was a person like, when the elevator opened, the person was legit smoking crack. Like, I saw them in the act of smoking crack. <laughs> and and I said, and then he looked at me and I was like, are you going to get off the elevator? Because he had just come down. He's like, no. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to walk up the steps. <laughs> So anyway, Uh, so, yeah, Seattle Public Transit, ladies and gentlemen. So Scott paid more, but he did not have to have the quote unquote experience that I had in getting to the show.
0: Yeah, I had way too many bags uh, in order to get to the show. So it just didn't make sense for me to take public transit. Um, And look at what uh, you missed. Right. Um, We didn't get to play one of our favorite games in Arizona, which is, is he homeless? And uh, we didn't need to guess there. They were, in fact, homeless.
1: <laughs> they were they were homeless, and we were dangerous, and it, and it felt dangerous. And, in fact, the first night we went out for dinner, we took, like, a back way, and we went through a shanty town where people were staring at us the whole time. And, like, the shanty town took up the entire sidewalk, so we peeled off to the other side of the street.
0: With like no 20 sidewalk.
1: Few, yeah, without a sidewalk. We were walking in the middle of a goddamn street and just keeping eyes, and their eyes were on us. And our eyes were on them out of the corner of our eye, and we, we made it through. But, yeah,
0: great times. <laughs> great, great times. times. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's,
1: not, it's not a game in Seattle. Yeah, it's, it's the most boring game you'll ever play because they are all homeless, in fact.
0: Yeah, they are not hipsters. They are, in fact, homeless. Exactly. Um, You know, I jumped to bringing the bullshit section a little too soon. I did forget one thing. We got an email in. Hey, guys, I love the show, and I'm always happy to see a new episode has downloaded. Uh, I know how much time it can take to make a podcast, so I appreciate your consistency and dedication. Surprise, surprise, I'm another schmuck trying to put together a comic series while... I work full time you guys have great advice and fun banter but most importantly for me you keep me inspired and motivated to get out my tablet and get to work on another page I'm doing the cheap excuse me let me try that again I'm doing on the cheap handling the art color and writing etc and will probably just post on social media for free I use a Samsung s6 light tablet and clip studio question for you Scott do you ever draw on a tablet and if so what software do you use uh i will answer that so yes i draw on an ipad i actually use an ipad 7 it is the last generation i believe that accepts the apple pencil one so i already had an apple pencil one i had the the ipad pro uh first generation unfortunately it was slowing down so i needed to pick up a newer model and i found out just doing some research online that the ipad 7 was a cheaper version to get it had the same stats as an ipad one uh, if not a little bit better and was compatible with that apple pencil which i already had so i went that route and i use procreate so procreate is an amazing app it's like photoshop lite a lot of artists actually use this um, like working pros so you can see a bunch of guys like eric canetti uh working on instagram with the ipad and uh it's pretty awesome i really enjoy it i don't need much more of anything else since I am just doing the pencilling and inking. and uh, so Clip Studio, I believe is a little more advanced, so you get a little more bang for your buck there. But the uh, problem that I have specifically with Clip Studio is a monthly thing. You have to pay a monthly fee where Procreate is a one and done. You pay them the fifteen dollars or whatever the case is. Um, I think I got it for six back in the day, six to ten um, when it first came out. And you get those updates. So, uh, But I think it's up to around $15 now, which is a drop in the bucket because it's such a great app. It does everything Photoshop does for the most part, and uh, it's pretty awesome. So check that out uh, if you're able to. I don't know if that's on the Samsung S6 or if that's strictly just an Apple-related product, Mm -hmm. but uh, it's pretty awesome. Um, For Keith, question for Keith. There's a question for me? Okay. There is. Question for you, Keith. Do you ever use Coggle, C-O-G-G-L-E, for mind mapping your story arcs? I find it helps a lot, and like you, I also use Evernote too. Thanks, and keep up the good work! Yay, yay, Jason Hatch.
1: All right, Jason. Thanks for
0: the email, Jason. Yeah, thanks, man. That was a really involved email.
1: Um, so, and you know, appreciate the detail. And hopefully, you are listening right now, and you are making that comic right now as we are talking. Um, I don't use Coggle. Um, in fact, you sending me that is my first experience with the word coggle and its use in modern society. So no, I don't. I mean, it sounds pretty cool. Um maybe I'll use it for a future arc. I don't know, man. I just kind of keep my I'm assuming mind mapping is like just getting big picture stuff on the story. Um so yeah, maybe it might have a use and I'll play with it for sure. Um I'm not going to play with it you know, in terms of, like, Kadoja, I know how that's going. In terms of Three Protectors, um, well, in terms of Kadoja and Animals, I know specifically where those two are going. In terms of Three Protectors and my novel, I'm making a conscious decision there to uh, use the, to uh, to borrow a term that we've talked about before, to be a pantser in that case. You know, so for for the second novel, whenever that starts, and for Three Protectors... My goal there is to be a lot more character-driven, and as a result, um, I'm just going to let the characters kind of take me wherever they want to go. But uh, I will take the note on that for Coggle, and
0: uh, maybe I'll have something to say about it in the future. Right on. All right, cool. Um, that's it for me. I didn't have anything, really, for the bringing the bullshit, and if I did, hey, we're going long. I can bring that bullshit next week. It's not a big yeah. deal for me. I'm actually um, tabling a strong bit of bullshit
1: that I want to talk about, and we'll do it next week
0: yeah yeah I got a couple like as I said yeah. that I was like oh yeah I have that uh, but definitely again it, it's going to be just as good for you guys next week as it would be this week so yeah, you've never um, heard it you've never heard it it's brand you've new You've never to heard you. it it's always new to you exactly <laughs> you can find me at scottlost s-c-o-t-t-l-o-s-t on twitter and instagram and facebook.com forward slash scottlost
1: yeah on instagram i am at keith underscore invader that is me posting quotes and pictures and all kinds of things um and then if you if you don't like me but you like giant monsters then by all means follow at kadoja kaiju that is giant monsters that's maybe about a once a week post we're at keith Invader is
0: probably more like four or five times a week and if you want to buy my books, you can go to AccidentalAliens.com. Second Shift, Minimum Wage Workers During the Day, Superheroes by Night, and wanders of Millisonda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans. Those are at AccidentalAliens.com, along with the Accidental Alien Anthologies and Tales from the Mothership. I have stories in all of those books, so uh, give those a look as well. We also have t-shirts, stickers, etc. on the site, so give that a look, AccidentalAliens.com.
1: Yeah and keithrfoster.com is where my stuff is of course there is some basic information on the books I do there are some links to blog posts of course the main page has a updated Instagram feed going all the time and there is a web store where you can get whatever is in stock for your boy Keith Um, Kadoja is um, HP Lovecraft meets Giant Monsters and Three Protectors is Interplanetary Kung Fu and or Kung Fu in Space And that makes me realize that there's one last little Emerald City thing we should talk about. We condensed our pitches to the point where we could name all four of our fucking books in like eight seconds. So, you know, it was something that we got particularly good at. And I like it. I like this as a method to use going forward. I'm going to use it when it's just me running a show. You give people a two second pitch, you know, And, and I think this is especially helpful when you have more than one book. Because, you know, talk about both your books, talk about every book at your table and then gauge interest and see what people are interested in and go from there. So, again, we've talked about this idea before and Scott and I really did live it, the idea of like the concentric circles pitch you know you you can have three versions of your pitch you can have a really short one that's just two three seconds and then you can have one that's maybe 10 seconds and then if people are still around and they want to hear even more that's when you can start to go into all kinds of cool shit like the process the influences more about the story you know just anything you want to talk about there because you've earned that
0: because they still want to hear what you have to say yep absolutely Um, And if you want to be like Jason Hatch and write us an email, go to makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Shoot us an email, let us know what you think about the show, anything you want us to talk about. If you have questions for us, if you don't agree with something we've said or want to know know more about something we said and we didn't talk enough about it, makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Yeah,
1: man. And if you want to assert your dominion over the algorithm gods, because remember, they're slaves to you. You're not slaves to it. It is slaves to you or they are slaves to you. See, writers like me can interchangeably use the singular and plural. But only after we drink 16 ounces of a 7.5% beer. That's key. <laughs> so, And, and what, what all of this means, what all these numbers add up to is five stars. It's pretty easy. It's the math to everything. Everything adds up to five stars. We're five stars in your hearts. We're five stars in your minds. And you know we deserve it because you've listened this far. This episode is like 615 minutes long and you're still here, you know? So by all means, man, if you have two minutes, less, whatever, you can give us words, you can not give us words, but Spotify and iTunes, we, we love reviews, we love five-star reviews, so please, if you have a minute, take take it
0: and, uh, and, and throw your boys some love. Remember, the algorithm does not exist. We do not... We we aren't around because the algorithm exists. The algorithm exists for us, yeah. Because we are here. You were really on we some deep shit for a second. I thought you were on some Matrix shit
1: here, where you're like, the algorithm does not exist. There is no spoon. <laughs> like, <laughs>
0: wait, what the fuck is going on? I <laughs> fucked know? it up. Like, they did it better in Sandman. All right, uh, that'll do it. We've gone quite a bit long. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that extra 30, 25 to 30 minutes we're giving you here. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Yay, yay.